You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, April 26th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, I'm going to bring you an update from CinemaCon 2022. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and as I mentioned, I am in Las Vegas attending CinemaCon 2022. This is the convention of theater owners all across the world who gather together to uh, see footage presentations from studios about their upcoming slates, to uh, have a, a giant trade show in Caesar's Palace in Vegas, uh, showing off like the latest theatrical innovations for things like um, lighting in the theaters or like uh, theater seating or concessions, all sorts of crazy stuff like that. So um, we obviously, for our purposes, are most focused on the footage presentations from the different studios. So I'm going to tell you about what I saw a little bit yesterday and what I saw this morning. Um, I'm going to be back on Thursday 
at some point. I'm not sure at what time in the day that's going to happen, but um, I'll be able to tell you a little bit more about uh, what I see in the coming days. But um, yes, yeah, so let's go ahead and kick things off as the convention kicked off with Sony Pictures. First up was Bullet Train, directed by David Leach. This movie comes out very soon. It stars Brad Pitt and several other people, including Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, Joey King, a ton of people. And Pitt plays an assassin who boards a high-speed train in Tokyo to try to complete a job, and that train happens to also be full of other assassins. So uh, David Leach came out and introduced the movie and showed us the first reel of the film, essentially the first... Uh, I don't know, uh, 10 minutes or so approximately. Um, I, guys, I'm, I'm sad to start this off on a, a sour note, but uh, this didn't really do much for me. Um, you guys know I love action movies. Uh, I love well-scripted, well-shot action movies. I'm a, a big fan of some of the stuff that David Leach has done in the past. Um, I thought he did really exceptional work in the action department with movies like Atomic Blonde. Uh, and of course, like the first John Wick movie, although now the more from David Leach that I see, the more I'm wondering how much Chad Stahelski, who has really like taken over uh, as, as the sole director of the, the John Wick series, um, I'm wondering how much Chad Stahelski had to do with, uh, with the first Wick film, because the two of those guys um, co-directed that first John Wick movie. Anyway, um, yeah, I, d- I didn't really care for what I saw here. I have to be honest with you. So Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry play... Uh, characters known as Lemon and Tangerine. And there's a lot of banter that's supposed to be funny between these characters. And it reminded me a little bit of Hobbs and Shaw, which David Leach also directed. I just did not care for the um, the sort of dick-swinging one-upsmanship that was going on in that movie because I didn't think it was funny. I thought it was just kind of obnoxious. And here, it's not nearly as... Um, I don't know, toxic is a strong word, but it's not really as, as dick swinging as it was in Hobbs and Shaw between these two characters. But it's like, it's so, uh, so reminiscent of Quentin Tarantino in like the worst possible way where it's just like, it, it's, it's reminiscent of that scene from Reservoir Dogs where Steve Buscemi is like, why do I have to be Mr. Pink? It's, it's it, these characters talking about Lemon and Tangerine, their nicknames, their sort of assassin names, and just arguing about that, arguing about like how many kills they had leading up to this moment, um, which is like reminds me a little bit of uh, Legolas and Gimli going back and forth in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, the the scene sort of flashes back to show all of the kills that those two characters had, and they're like addressing the camera, and like on paper that stuff is is uh, you know cute and interesting and and sort of. Um, uh, not innovative, but like uh, interesting for a, a big budget action movie. Um, but a lot of it just sort of fell flat to me. And maybe it's, you know, maybe the whole thing will work much better in the full context of the movie. It's always weird watching stuff uh, out of context like this. Um, but the footage was like very violent and manic and blood spurting on the camera and, um, you know, people being stabbed in the throat with swords and all sorts of stuff. And like Engelbert Humperdinck music is playing in the background. So there's very like a, there's a clash between, you know, the, the type of violence that's happening and the, uh, sort of upbeat, whatever, 1950s, 60s, almost like, uh, swing jazz, uh, big like pop music stuff playing in the background. Um, yeah, I just I I think a lot of it is supposed to be funny, but it just did not land for me. And I think a lot of people might think it's it's super funny. And it's uh you know th- this is very much um, one of those situations where it's tough to uh, to judge a, a comedic thing because 
uh, tastes um, differ so wildly, so so um, heavily on, on something like that. So, okay, so that's Bullet Train. That's coming out soon. Uh, Reese Witherspoon came on uh, to do like a little FaceTime intro for Where the Crawdads Sing, which is a movie that to me kind of looks like uh, Nicholas Sparks meets Big Little Lies or something. Um, Daisy Edgar Jones, who just starred in a, a really good new uh, horror movie called Fresh that is currently on Hulu. She was also in Normal People, the um, Hulu drama series from a couple years ago. Um, she plays a character. This is based on a, a really popular book, um, th- this Where the Crawdads Sing. And uh, it begins with like this flashback where she says, in town they told the story of the Marsh Girl, the one who gl- grew up alone in the wild. And it's, it's clearly her as a young child, and she has this long, scraggly hair, and she... Um, you know, the townspeople are all looking at her strangely because this girl seems to be almost like raised by wolves or something like raised out in the, in the middle of nowhere kind of thing. And she wanders into this, uh, Southern small town, um, as she grows up into the Daisy Edgar Jones, uh, actress that we know, um, she meets this, uh, this boy who is her age and this romance develops, but then the, the cops come and, and accuse her of murder, um, David Strathairn appears, appears to be playing her lawyer. So, yeah, I, I would expect them to actually be releasing the, the full trailer for this fairly soon because um, the representatives from Sony were talking about this movie in a big way and, and suggesting that um, especially women are going to come out back to theaters in a big way, you know, as the, the pandemic hits a different stage, um, suggesting that uh, this is going to have a, a female-driven audience, which makes sense from a, a Reese Witherspoon sort of led production, even though she's she's not in this movie as far as I know. She may have a cameo or something, but um, she's like definitely um, shepherding this project into existence. So uh, that is called Where the Crawdads Sing. And then, um, man, this one movie caught me off guard. I wasn't really expecting it, but it's called The Woman King. Gina Prince-Bythewood, who most recently directed uh, The Old Guard for Netflix, which I really enjoyed is the co-writer and director of this movie, which stars uh, Viola Davis, and she plays a military leader who protected the real-world West African kingdom of Dahomey, which existed from around the year 1600 to the early 1900s. Um, John Boyega is in this movie as well. He plays uh, the king of this uh, African nation, and Viola Davis, man, she just looks absolutely incredible in this movie. She looks super, like, jacked. She could just absolutely destroy anyone who came at her. Um, the the footage began with um, a warrior tribe sort of being uh, attacked in the darkness, like a sneak attack, and... Uh, around a campfire at night, but that was really the only super dark scene in the footage that we saw. Um, Most of it took place in the open, you know, like bright uh, daylight. There are these ships that arrive on the the African shores bearing, of course, white people. So, you know, that's not going to turn out well. Um, uh, Viola Davis's character asks John Boyega's character, he's like the king of this nation, uh, to go to war. And she says that some things are worth fighting for. And there's this big training sequence with the king's guard that reminded me a lot of like the Dora Milaje from a Black Panther. Um, these these king's guard are uh, the most elite warriors the world has ever known, one of the characters says. Um, she, uh, Viola Davis's character, is like the, the leader of this uh, Praetorian guard kind of thing. And she wields blades, and uh, the, there's a lot of like hand-to-hand combat and uh, sword combat um, out in in the open. And um, yeah, this I mean, like I said, she just looks unreal in this movie and uh, in the best possible way. So uh, that was called The Woman King. Um, Sony actually made a surprise uh, announcement 
about a new Marvel character called El Muerto, which is the first Latino character to lead a Marvel live-action film. He's going to be played by Bad Bunny, who also appeared in the footage from Bullet Train. He's one of the characters who fights against uh, Brad Pitt's character in that film. I think Bullet Train is his first movie, and this he's jumping right into the MCU. So um, unclear about... Uh, oh, actually, the, the date. They did, they did announce a date for this. Uh, January 12th, 2024 is when the El Muerto movie is going to come out. They didn't have any footage or anything like that, um, but you can go to SlashFilm.com and read all about that character um there's a, a connection to wrestling there um so yeah really interesting stuff and, and a surprise announcement from sony um and then uh yeah tom rothman the the head of sony came out and uh was basically crowing about movies making money in theaters again and, and sort of bragging about um the success of uh of spider-man no way home and speaking of spider-man he introduced Phil Lord and Chris Miller on the stage. Uh, they are, of course, a couple of the minds behind the Spider-Verse movies. And uh, even though the new Spider-Verse film, um, which was previously called Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1, just got a new title to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and uh, was pushed back until 2023, they came out and they didn't have a sizzle reel, but they came out and showed us essentially the first 15 minutes of the movie even though it was unfinished. So there were a lot of storyboards. There were a lot of um, really, uh, you know, not fully rendered um, sequences at all. Uh, but the movie begins in Gwen Stacy's dimension, which is Earth 65. And it has uh, a really sort of painterly feel to it. One of the big premises of this movie is that um, instead of just taking place in one universe and having a bunch of characters come into that, like the Into the Spider-Verse movie from 2018, this movie is actually going to uh, let its characters jump back and forth and, and around into a bunch of different universes that all have different uh, aesthetics. So Earth-65, which is Gwen Stacy's dimension, uh, looks, as Chris Miller said, kind of like a mood ring. So it's it's very painterly and, and sort of dreamscapey and almost like watercolory. Um, so again, we couldn't really get a great sense of exactly what the final version is going to look like because we saw like uh, s shots that looked close to finished intercut with shots that were you know, looked like a PlayStation one graphics level, like that kind of thing. So that was the, the vibe of what we were watching, but the story is definitely there. So, um, Gwen climbs in a window while her dad is doing dishes. She tries to sneak past him and he, uh, he realized that she's been out, but, uh, he is a police officer and he says, Hey, we caught a break in the, the spider woman case. Um, hopefully we can, you know, track her down kind of thing. Uh, and then we, we learn and Gwen is sort of, uh, it's clear that this is like a, um, a commissioner Gordon, uh, bat girl situation where, uh, the father and daughter are living in the same home and are ostensibly on the same side of the law, but, um, they don't know, uh, the, the father does not know about the, the daughter's identity. Um, so it, it very quickly transitions into a hostage situation at the Guggenheim museum where Adrian Toomes, the vulture, um, is, is holding people hostage. Uh, Gwen suits up as spider Gwen, and her dad, uh, gets a, a call about it, um, you know, from on the police radio and the two sort of converge on this uh, location. The Guggenheim blows up or part of it does anyway. And, uh, spider Gwen shows up and sort of uh, sticks her dad to a police car with a bunch of webbing to keep him safe. 
and uh, the vulture in in this iteration has uh, an Italian accent and um, looks like he's sepia toned, which again, all of this was like really um, you know sketchy uh, in terms of like the the finalized aesthetics or whatever. But uh, it it looks and sounds very very funny, and um, Gwen is just constantly like quipping about him being Italian and how strange that is, and uh, you know what's going on with this character. And it looks like he's about to kill her, and a portal opens up, and Spider-Man 2099 uh, flies out to save Gwen. Um, this is the character voiced by Oscar Isaac, who appeared in like a post-credit scene or at the very, very end of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, he looks really, really cool. He's like, you know, huge and bulky, and um, there's all sort of like uh, computer chip lines going throughout his suit that look really cool. He's from uh, Earth 928, so there's a ton of different earths in this um in this movie uh the two of them end up fighting up or teaming up to to fight uh, against the vulture and spider-man 2099 uh tells gwen that kingpin's collider from uh into the spider-verse left a hole in the multiverse that was wide enough for guys like vulture to get shot into other dimensions so they basically have to clean up this mess that was caused in the the 2018 movie um, Spider-Man 2099 ends up calling for backup and Jessica Drew blasts through on a motorcycle. She is a uh, spider woman. She's pregnant. She has an Afro. Um, she cruises around in this, minor, this motorcycle. She looks really, really cool. Um, and she has this aside, this sort of side conversation with uh, Miguel, who is Spider-Man 2099, saying that they could use Gwen's help for some sort of mysterious project that they're working on, but Miguel is hesitant. He doesn't want to in involve Gwen. Um, she ends up uh, creating a web net to save uh, a, the pilots of a helicopter that Vulture has shot down outside. It's all very like cool, stylish-looking um, action that you would expect from uh, from Into the Spider-Verse. And uh, there's, then there's a really uh, interesting confrontation between Gwen and her dad after the, the vulture is um, seemingly, you know, taken care of, like uh, tied up or whatever. Um, the, her dad, uh, you know, he's the, the police officer. He draws his gun on her, and the two of them are sort of um, isolated off in, in a section of the building where nobody else can see what's going on here. He tries to, to uh, arrest her for the murder of Peter Parker, and she ends up taking her mask off and explaining that she didn't murder people, or she didn't murder Peter Parker specifically, um, and he is very, like, crestfallen at the fact that his daughter has been lying to him for all of this time, and, um, yeah, it's this really, like, emotional scene that, um, that works really, really well. She pleads her case, and he ends up um, sort of hardening over the, the course of the conversation and reading her... Uh, her Miranda rights. He's going to arrest his daughter anyway. And then Spider-Man 2099 swings in and encases him in like a, an electric prison of sorts, like a uh, sort of a force field kind of thing. And um, they all go through this, this portal that they open um, because Gwen uh, realizes that um, the, the situation at home right now is, is sort of untenable. So she, she joins uh, Miguel and Jessica on this adventure. And then the only, um, scene that we see of miles is uh who is of course the, the protagonist from into the spider-verse um in brooklyn on earth 1610 miles is uh, his parents are at a meeting at school with the with miles guidance counselor but miles is late because he's you know spider-manning throughout the city and um miles ends up barely you know showing up he he makes it sort of by the skin of his teeth and um the uh, guidance counselor who may or may not be voiced by Rachel Dratch from SNL um, explains that Miles is making good grades, but 
He's getting a, a B in Spanish. Obviously, Miles' mom is not happy about that because she speaks Spanish. Miles speaks Spanish. He, he grew up in a Spanish-speaking home. Um, but he's just been, you know, busy doing Spider-Man stuff, so he, he missed several classes. Uh, the guidance counselor suggests that Miles go to Columbia, where they're studying quantum physics there. And Miles is really excited about that because he thinks that he can study that to sort of uh, help out the other dimensions and learn more about um, you know, how he can contribute to finding his place in the universe as this new Spider-Man. Um, but his mom is, is nervous about him leaving Brooklyn to go to school in Manhattan, which they joke about it not actually being that far away. And then uh, the footage ends with Miles um, sort of getting a burst from his Spidey sense and having to leave the room. And then uh, his dad, uh, Jefferson Davis, gets a cop call about a supervillain on his police radio, and he also has to leave the, the room really quickly. So, um yeah, really unpolished stuff, but uh, it definitely has like that emotional uh, core to it that you would expect. And then also, yeah, just like super stylish, um, great camera work and, and all of that. So I'm, I'm very excited to see uh, more from this movie as soon as we can. Um, they also, Lord Miller also really uh, revealed the title of the second, or I guess this is the third movie, the, the second sequel. It's going to be called Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse. And then that was pretty much it for Sony. They showed um, a really quick sizzle reel of several of their other upcoming projects that it, they didn't really have the opportunity to showcase here. Um, there was like a tiny, tiny glimpse of Craving the Hunter, which I'm not even convinced was actually footage from that movie. I, I, they may have just like used a brief clip from another film or something. Um, Adam Driver is going to be in a space movie called 65 that's coming out. Um, they also uh, announced new installments of Venom and Ghostbusters, but gave no details about that. So um, yeah, anyway, that was it from Sony. And then this morning, Neon came out and had their presentation following a big, uh, frankly, boring state of the industry speech. But yeah, Neon really didn't have much to showcase on for, for their part. They showed uh, a new trailer for Crimes of the Future, which is the new return to the horror genre for David Cronenberg. Um, it is It was referred to as an evolution of David's work that will also include, quote, key references to... Uh, his other films. So that is kind of interesting, especially for hardcore Cronenberg fans. Um, this movie is definitely like, you know, all aboard the body horror train kind of thing. Like uh, if you've seen the, I think they've, they've already released one teaser trailer for this film. The footage that we saw in this new one is not so different. Um, it's just a little bit more of that same kind of vibe. So really um, dark and eerie and, and kind of moody lighting. There's a woman standing around this bizarre, uh, operating table that looks almost like it's alive somehow and she has this um weird circle on her stomach that's almost like a uh, combination of like the infinity gauntlet and like a a troll gem or something i'm not really sure what was going on there it looked like the the uh, rainbow colored um gems or something that were embedded into her stomach were almost like buttons that she could push uh again this is a david cronenberg movie really uh, strange stuff here so it's sort of difficult to uh, to relay it's much more of a like um experiential thing instead of something that can be easily uh wrapped up but Viggo Mortensen's character says, uh, I don't like what's happening with the body, in particular what's happening with my body, which is why I keep cutting it up. Um, Kristen Stewart is involved. She may be like a, a nurse or a doctor or some sort of examiner. Um, Leia Sadu uh, is like super uh, strange in this movie. She she look, looks to be um, enamored with uh, 
injuries that have been inflicted upon the human body. Like somebody's stomach is cut open and one of the last shots in the trailer is her like putting her mouth right up against the cut as if she's going to suck the blood out of it or like insert her tongue into the cut or something like really um yeah i mean if you know uh cronenberg's filmography then um none of that should be super surprising to you even though uh yeah it sounds very very strange so um i I also wouldn't be surprised if they release that trailer online sometime soon because it's it definitely seemed more like um you know, uh, put together and, and sort of designed for mass audiences than a lot of the footage presentations that they, that you sort of get the sense that are put together specifically for uh, the theater owners, the exhibitors, and, and people who are attending this uh, convention. Um, they showed, Neon also showed a very, very brief teaser for a documentary called Fire of Love, which I reviewed from Sundance earlier this year, um, which is really great, and I highly encourage people to check that out. Um, I think National Geographic is one of the partners uh, for that movie, so I think that means that it's going to end up on Disney Plus at some point, even though it's a, a Neon thing. Maybe Neon is just handling the theatrical, and then Disney Plus has the streaming rights. I'm not sure exactly what the situation is there, but Fire of Love this is the name of the movie. You should absolutely put that on your list of things to see this year because it's very, very good. Uh, and then finally, Neon wrapped things up with a movie called Moon Age Daydream, which is a, um, as you can probably tell from the title, a movie about uh, David Bowie. And this is, I think, the first movie that the David Bowie estate has has like signed off on. And Brett Morgan, who is the director of... Uh, several uh, acclaimed documentaries over the past several years um, is the the filmmaker behind this he's the uh, writer director editor is the sole editor and, and producer of the movie um, and he sort of I guess the the hook for this movie is um, you know David Bowie is like a somebody that's incredibly hard to define because his career uh, went in so many different directions and and he um, at one point in the footage that we see that I'll, that I'll get to in a second, Bowie himself, there's a, a TV interview of Bowie and he referred to himself as a collector. Like he collects uh, personas almost. So um, that makes making a single movie about David Bowie really difficult. And I'm very glad that they didn't do like a Bohemian rap, Bohemian Rhapsody style, uh, you know, biopic about David Bowie. Cause that I think would have been just a full fledged disaster, but this documentary instead is going to showcase a ton of footage that has never been seen before. Um, evidently Brett Morgan went through something like 2 million, uh, or 5 million assets. Yeah. Of the, um, from like the, the Bowie collection, uh, including a ton of recordings and footage that's never been seen anywhere before. Um, we saw a, a couple of clips from the film, um, I'm not going to go into detail about what exactly we saw, but just broadly speaking, I thought it was really interesting because a lot of the uh, concert footage and, and performance footage was cut together and intercut with uh, montages of old sci-fi movies, including A Trip to the Moon and Metropolis. So, you know, it's much more about like a creating a vibe of like who Bowie was and what his personality was and, and the kind of um, place that he occupied in culture instead of a pure concert show or, um, you know, a pure cradle to the grave kind of biopic. So um, that's all I can really say uh, about Moon Age Daydream. Um, but yeah, that that's that was it so far. I'm excited to see 
what else uh, is on display here at CinemaCon. I know that uh, this afternoon, Warner, or I guess this evening, uh, Warner Brothers is going to have a big presentation with a ton of stuff from their superhero slate uh, expected to be showcased. So um, definitely stay tuned to SlashFilm.com. We've done we have a bunch of great writers who are just like trying desperately to uh, to make uh, sense out of my nonsensical observations that I'm sending to them on the fly, and they're able to uh, spin uh, spin gold out of um, whatever it is that I'm sending to them and get articles up on the site really, really quickly. So if you're intrigued at all about what DC and, and Warner Brothers are doing uh, over the coming year or so, just uh, stay tuned to Slash Film tonight because there's going to be a bunch of stuff being posted. Um, and then tomorrow, uh, Disney is going to have a presentation. I'm not sure if they're actually going to showcase a bunch of their upcoming stuff or if they're just going to show us a movie. I've heard um, some speculation that they might show the entirety of Lightyear. So we'll see how much I can or can't say about that after I see it. Um, and then Universal is also showcasing probably Jurassic World Dominion and Nope and several other um, things. Halloween Ends, uh, I suspect maybe Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, might, we might see something from that. Um, so that's tomorrow as well. And uh, Focus Features is going to have a presentation tomorrow. And then Thursday, um, Paramount is showing Top Gun Maverick and uh, Lionsgate is closing things out. So um, I know there's going to be something from John Wick Chapter 4 and The Expendables 4. So um, yeah, bunch more to come here from CinemaCon. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, my name is Ben Pearson. I am reporting from SlashFilm.com. And uh, yeah, you can. I'll, I'll try to drop links in the show notes for all of the stories that we've published so far based on the stuff that we've seen. So if you want like more detailed information um, for things that I sort of skipped over, uh, go to SlashFilm. That would be where you can find them. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcasts apps and send your feedback questions comments concerns and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air don't forget to rate and review the show on apple Podcasts. tell your friends spread the word thanks so much for listening and we will talk to you tomorrow this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.